It's the TV podcast. We're back talking about another episode of Doctor Who. I am here in person with somebody I watched this episode with. It's Glenn Fleischman. Hi, Glenn. Hello. Yeah, this is weird. We're doing a podcast and I don't have headphones in and there's nobody on Skype. It's a little bit strange. So we watched Listen, Series 8, Episode 4 by Stephen Moffat. Look, listen, and you will learn. <laughs> so what we've learned is don't blink. That's right. Do listen. And don't breathe. Don't breathe. That's right. How many senses? So there's taste. <laughs> don't taste. Don't even taste. Don't touch anything. Taste don't, and you'll be mildly upset. If you touch it, your finger will stick. So yes. we learned that too. Something like that. Do touch. <laughs> don't taste. Do blink. Don't blink. Don't. Don't. Um, Tushpa. This, this is, I would say, I mean, first off, Stephen Moffat, since he's been back as the, uh, he became the showrunner, he seems to have done what most showrunners do, which is focus on those big arc episodes. And this seems to be his attempt to give himself a standalone episode like he used to write back when he wasn't the boss. Yeah, this, I also would say, this is the first episode where I just felt it was almost perfectly constructed in a way that didn't make me angry like it actually had <laughs> it had a shape and a feel and a sense and it would wrapped itself up and i thought i felt like he actually thought about this every part of it and tried to pull it all together it was pretty neat it was um and we we forget or or maybe take Stephen moffat's writing for granted um and he does pull these tricks a lot but it felt I said this before about a few episodes of the season. It felt very modern. It 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 plays with time sequence and doesn't care. Um, especially Clara and Danny, their re- entire relationship is told in interleaved moments from before and after embarrassing events. And I start to wonder if this is like foreshadowing of that their relationship is kind of confusing on a grander scale in terms of time and space. I don't know where it's going, but the fact that they're, they're it also reminds me of coupling a lot because that's a lot of what they, what Stephen Moffat did in coupling is you have a, you have a, a, a failed romantic endeavor and you cut back and forth to reveal just how terrible uh, it is. But I mean, it was just so it, it felt self-assured and modern and almost like a, like a play in that it was just kind of self-contained and he was very confident. He, he, I don't know. This felt. I felt like the writer in in this episode was very much. Uh, he knew where he was going with it, and he knew exactly the effect he wanted to have. And you know, I, I think I think it's good to see Stephen Moffat not kind of constrained by his sort of. I need a really operatic finale. Well, and he didn't telegraph that much in the episode. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There were all sorts of callbacks and call forwards and things that will probably resonate throughout the rest of this season. And some nice little touches. That little shot. Of uh, John Hurt, not John Hurt. Of, yeah, uh, John Hurt. John Hurt. Yeah, at the end, walking into the barn, and which is like, this mysterious sort of barn out in the middle of the desert. Oh from, my goodness! From the the uh, day of the Doctor, and yeah, and you're here like, we are. Okay, we have an explanation for why he went to this weird mm-hmm. place, and and I think that feels very planned. But but the whole but the. I wasn't sitting here going like, oh, I know what's going to happen. I know where this is going. I was on the edge of my seat, and it had that wonderful prickly horror feeling where I knew it would probably be resolved without it being too horror-ish. But I still – it felt like midnight to me. This is the closest episode I think they've had to midnight. Yes, which which was an example of the showrunner taking some time to do their own creepy standalone episode. And that's one of Russell – Davis's uh, best scripts, and yeah, there's the scene with the knocking on the base, or this. I guess it's a time ship that got yeah. thrown just a bit. What did they say? It's a, went a bit far. The yeah. doctor says the, to the end of the universe. Yeah, where, but they, that not- where they've been before, right? And that not knocking is so reminiscent of midnight. It's the it's the invisible unknown monster question mark, but mm-hmm. that's outside the door. 
Um, although one of the things that happens throughout this episode is there's always another explanation given. Yes. So that when we get to the end and we see the suggestion that this was really all about the doctor, um, it sort of feeds back on itself. Like every single moment, it's like, well, that could be just the air escaping. And it yeah. could just be the pipes ticking because it's cold There's or a, hot. There's a famous X-Files episode I remember this reminded me of a little bit where – Mulder goes off on his own and there's like there's all these sequences people are dying there's these weird things happening and he calls Scully and says you got to come out there's great she's like oh no Mulder you know that people who uh, if you inhale this kind of gas or you know if you're if you're a Somebody who inhales uh, stuff to get high that can cause the sensation of cockroaches under your skin. Oh, okay, that's just. A, and it happens like eight times in the episode. Oh, yeah. like, oh there's an explanation that's, for everything. That's War of the Copperfages. That's actually one of my favorite episodes of the really X Files yeah, because it is it is ridiculous. It goes yeah. on and on. But there was like yeah, it's like oh that could just be gas escaping. And then at the end we're still left with there are some mysteries in it. Sure, but I still but there is everything. But there's it, always an explanation. It exists there, in two could, states. Like yeah. when, when they when they save young Rupert Pink. Uh, from the uh, from the monster that's under the blanket, um, they say, "Did we just save that boy from one of his <laughs> schoolmates or one of his housemates in this in this children's house?" And he says, "Maybe." <laughs> and yeah. so again, we're given an explanation Wonderful. that's not that there's a monster that listens to you when you talk to yourself and hides under the bed. It's not Pat too. It's it's. I felt we reached the end of the episode with I don't really know. Right. I don't really know, but. I have I have a sense of what was intended, but there's still who wrote "Listen on the board" when he's turned around. Why right. did the chalk? Well, it fell on the it's floor. It's in the doctor's handwriting, right? Yeah, it so. fell on the floor. Maybe it did the fall rolled off from the middle of the book. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think the doctor says there's you know either you know either he did there are two possibilities for everything. There's a monster, or it was just him writing. Yeah. <laughs> right, and so I think that you have to say that. But it, it's there's so much. This so this episode takes a really bold step in that we see I think for the first time I mean there's a brief I guess that's the master where we have a flashback of the master as a as a boy looking into the untempered yeah, schism that's but right. here we see the doctor just sort of the top of his head and we hear him and under the covers as as the doctor is the little scared kid here instead of being the one who reassures the little scared kid and Clara is the one who who ends up in in that barn and crawls under the bed when his parents, when the doctor's parents come in and have these conversations about him, which is so fascinating. And, and the, the, the male voice says, you know, why is he crying? And the, and, and the mother says, you know why? And she says, you could come back into the house with the other boys. And we, mm-hmm. we never, I mean, it's all, what does that, what does that mean exactly? And I, I love that it's sort of tantalizingly vague because people don't talk in, in a, uh, plot explanation and detail, right? They, right? they they talk like that because they know what they mean. And I was, we don't. I, well, I was crying at that point. I'm like, wait, they went to Gallifrey. And I'm like, no, but the overrides were off. We don't know if Gallifrey right. is back. There's all these things. Gall- and, he crossed his own timeline, sort of. where John Hurt goes perhaps isn't even Gallifrey. Maybe it's some sort of like pocket universe but it's the resonance remember there's that wonderful thing in day of the doctor one of the things i like the best about it is that bit when the when the moment says to him in the form of rose says you didn't want her to see and that's that great thing that he's parked the tardis out in the desert and then gone he find either he finds the barn or it's the barn he was intended to you didn't want her to see what you were about to do you gotta hide from the tardis so to bring that back and then to have and to have the idea be that that in the end clara 
is the one. This isn't necessarily, I mean, he says there's evidence of this nightmare in everybody's in human history, but Clara is the one who causes it in him because she actually grabs his grabs his ankle and then tells yeah. him tells him to go. Now, personally, if somebody grabbed my ankle, I would probably not just believe when they said that it was a it was a, a nightmare and well, go back to bed. But. I think there's an implication maybe that this echoes through time because yeah. the doctor's got all these repercussions through time. So maybe he had the first dream. Mm. He started he this. Just, she started this. Yeah, she started it because she echoes through his timeline right. too. Another case. Right. Another case. This is a little bit like Rory dying. Like how many times are we going to see Clara cross? Well, that, this, that's exactly <laughs> it. Is that this once again Clara has has gotten to yet another portion of the Doctor's life. She's seen him at almost every point of his life yeah. at this point, which is in in her original form or in her kind of shattered through time and space form. Also, the um, we get the echo in addition to the clip of John Hurt. Um, we get the, uh, she says, never cruel or cowardly, which yes. is, of course, what they say in, uh, it's always, I love that 50th anniversary episode. It's always great. It's like, go ahead, hearken back to that episode. Yeah, yeah. My favorite. That'll my make me happy. Favorite special I think they ever did. <laughs> yeah. And then um, also the, she tells the doctor fear is a superpower. And the, the same thing that, that the doctor tells um, Danny um, when he's a little boy and he's, and he's Rupert, um, she tells him, so it turns out that the doctor heard this from Clara when right. he was a boy, and now he says it to, to Danny, and she hears, and then goes back and tells the doctor when he's a boy. You will always have circular a time companion. Fear is your companion. Yeah. Why? Yeah, fear makes companions of us all, which I think is something William Hartnell says in one of the first oh, episodes of Doctor Who. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So there's and, and and at several points, like at the very end, Clara, I love that she says, "So listen." Right, so we're back to we're back to listen. At several points, somebody yeah. says, "Listen," uh, and they're saying it like, "Listen to me," but it's also the, the statement at the very beginning. I love that opening scene where the doctor is just wandering alone in the TARDIS, talking to himself, yeah. and it makes sense because he's speculating about what happens when you talk to yourself. But he's sitting on the top of the TARDIS at the beginning, just thinking, and then he's Never working on the before. blackboards. Yeah. And Peter Capaldi just. You can't. I mean, you can't take your eyes off of them. But what a great little like one man show to open the episode. Yeah, it's to. still it's still part of that. The Doctor is a little bit nuttier. I mean, a little bit nuts yes. still. But he's kind of in his head. He's still ridiculously superstitious. He's like you. You know, you should see the size of your brains. Yeah, and it's ridiculous. It's everything. He's still he's ribbing <laughs> Clara left or right. Like oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever, and none of the um in the in this incarnation of the series, uh, none of the. Uh, the female companions have ever their appearance has not been commented upon except positively. Right, and he's taking the piss out of well, her. Well, yeah, he, sa- he, sa- he says you've taken your makeup off, and she says no, and he said, "Well, you must have missed a spot," which is just <laughs> again, this seems to be how their relationship goes. Mm-hmm. But, but it turns them into mates instead of them being instead of them being lovers, friends, exactly like close friends. It's like no, they're mates. Yeah, and he's and he's also trying to throw off that it's a little like Strax not being able to tell whether she's a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. It's it's him being alien and like not really understanding. And he's trying to understand but doing a very bad job of it, which I think is interesting. But uh, something I, I noticed too is that at the end he says something about um that her face is her face is wide because she has three mirrors. And at the beginning, she's telling a story about one of her students saying that her that she thought that saying that she had a wide face. Yes. So that comes around too. It's very strange that like because uh, Clara Clara is cute as a button yes. and she's wearing a beautiful dress. Yes, and you notice she leaves her coat. She doesn't have her coat when she comes back in time. And then Danny Pink notices. Yeah, I thought it was so clever. Like no, he was actually paying. it wasn't a continuity mm-hmm. problem. They were paying attention. It was a, it was Even an Danny Pink. And, and come on, the astronaut 
mysterious astronaut walking in. Well, oh, that was, when have we seen an astronaut that was, wandering around? That was pretty street. funny, though, yeah. in that he's like, I'm tired of crazy. I don't want to do crazy. Yeah. And she's like, "Like, um, there's a big orange astronaut guy behind you. No, let's like, uh, the, Go ahead. You can leave now. The, um, the, let's go calling back to the uh, River Song stuff, though. Yeah. The astronaut suit. I mean, oh, yeah. not the same suit, but uh, well, still no, pretty it, funny. In fact, it looks like it's the Sanctuary Base 6 suit from the, um, the Satan Pit, which they keep oh, reusing because the doctor totally takes right. it at the end of the episode. That orange space you're suit. Totally right. It's like they cannot... That, the BBC owns one <laughs> orange spacesuit they and they, and they use, oh, I love the spacesuit though it's a yeah. great that bit that crazy orange spacesuit and what a great um, twist that was that you were fully expecting the astronaut comes in gestures toward the closet that's got the TARDIS in it she sort of sighs and watches Danny leave she goes in and she's mad and she's shouting yeah. at the astronaut and then the doctor walks in and she's like what the hell's going on and he takes off the helmet and it's Danny Pink except it's not Danny yeah. Pink it's Danny Pink's Great grandson. Yeah, but then they didn't do. They did the thing that I really love. I love Colonel Im- Orson Pink. Orson Mork. This is Orson <laughs> calling Orson. But they did the implicit thing, which I love, which is that there was still that ambiguity, and she didn't even want to accept it because she doesn't want to believe that her future. Like, don't tell right. me when I die. Don't tell me my yeah. future. And even the you know the Orson isn't like, oh, I have pictures of you in my family household, and we've reverenced you. It was like. Don't I know? I hear you? I hear a I story about one of my great grandparents traveled in time. Yeah, which is also interesting because that could just mean Danny Pink. Yeah, but it could also mean Clara if she is his great grandmother, and it's just left there, which is great as we're seeing yeah. the beginning of this relationship between Clara and Danny. It seemed forced to me at first, but now we have oh, so there's the callback here too, of course, to Rose and to. Um, uh, Ricky, no, not Ricky. I'm Mickey. making a joke. I know, I'm making a joke. Is it Mickey, yes. Mikey, whatever you call it? it also, Ricky, <laughs> Ricky. But so, Mickey. There's a bit where in the episode where, where uh, oh, another cro- actually crossing the timeline thing is in the episode that Rose wants to go back to see her father before right. he dies, and then Father's causes yeah. yeah, causes the whole thing. She finds Mickey and she says, "Oh my God, he's patterned on me as a little kid, right?" And yeah. I'm like, so yeah. she finds a Rupert. So you're right. It is, a, it is as a little it, kid. It, it is and actually talks to her for a while. I'm like, does Rupert not remember as an adult? Well, you well, remember from that time. Well, and so, and like, and uh, the doctor's scrambles as he says once upon a time right. good night you know <laughs> and just turns him, stuff. turns him off something else i noticed um stephen moffat it's clara's relationship is like uh and her storyline this year it's so much like the personal memoir and personal tv history of stephen moffat because mm. so stephen moffat's two most successful tv shows before doctor who were coupling which is a romantic comedy and press gang which is about teachers and uh, students in a school mm. because, and then he also did Chalk, which is about students. Chalk, and and that was a, and his <laughs> and his divorce. Oh yes, and, like and, and Peter Capaldi uses chalk. chalk. Oh my God, it's all about Stephen oh Moffat's career. Anyway, the point is, Stephen Moffat was a school teacher before he was a professional I writer. And so, and and so, when I look at the Clara stuff and I see that she's got all the student stuff, and he did ep- he did shows set in schools uh, and shows about teachers, and then the romantic comedy with the various cutting back and forth. He is. Like this is this is yes he's visiting familiar territory but it's also he's really mining uh, parts of his life the school teacher stuff that he hasn't really mined I think in Doctor Who before and it's kind of fun to see also this harkens back to the original Doctor Who companions which were who were both it was a man and a woman who were teachers at Coal Hill School which is what Clara and Danny Pink are yeah. well else. Yeah, and I also like the fact that uh, that Clara has her own life. Like, he drops in. She's not particularly upset about him disappearing, except when he went out for coffee, and it was three weeks right. the last episode. In Glasgow. Yeah. No, she, 
she uh, this is one of the things I love about Clara actually is that she doesn't go away with the doctor. Mm-hmm. She lives her life. She has a life, and then he comes looking for her and saying, "I need you." Right. Which is just I that is such her. a great different relationship, and she's yeah. really not in the mood because she just had a bad date. But she gets she's like, "All right." <laughs> she's also. It seems like he is seeking something. I mean, there's still there's you know we're gonna have some stuff. There's a season arc about. Uh, who placed the ad in the newspaper and missing right. and all that? But I feel like he is he is engaged in an interesting internal exercise to seek things, and I think it comes through that way. It's not a, you know that was always my thing with Doctor Who is a little bit like Quantum Leap, and I know Quantum Leap probably patterned itself in Doctor Who too. It was like Sam is sent where he needs right, to be. Right, the TARDIS takes the Doctor yeah. where he needs and, to go, and there is that. I mean, that was explicitly stated in the Doctor's wife mm-hmm. that you know she I take you where you're right. needed. But I think this is there's a little more intentionality where the Doctor's like he is doing self examination. He says. What is that thing? Yes. Why do we talk to ourselves? The, I'm going to find out. This why. episode is unlike almost any episode of Doctor Who yeah. in that way. Is that this is this is motivated? This is not the Doctor stumbling in on a story. This is the Doctor making the story because he mm-hmm. is resolved to answer this question. And he causes. I mean, really, a great for, question for a too. lead for a lead sto- <laughs> a lead actor a lead character in a show. He is strangely passive about how he gets in situations. Mm-hmm. They find him. We also speaking of which we got the psychic paper for the first time in the Peter Capaldi era. Yes. Such a great invention because it eliminates all the questions of why would a security guard allow some strange man into the into the children's home in the middle of the night. The answer is psychic paper. Don't worry about it. He's not going to get arrested. He's not going to have to escape. Just let's move on to the next right. scene, but not before he steals the guy's coffee. Uh, no, and not, yeah, I know. And you're like, but they said it was so. It was just this. This episode is so. One of my problems I've had with the episodes so far is I feel like they weren't that layered. There was sort of a, a single straightforward narrative, and there was like an event, and things broke or didn't break, and then you're back to where you were. This had little cycles inside of cycles. So he goes to the security guard. He says, do you ever hear, uh, you talk to yourself, yeah, this place does it to me. There's always an explanation. Do you find your coffee cup somewhere else? The guy's like, yeah. And what, is that turning it off? Oh, it, it does that. TV turns off and then the coffee cup's missing. You're like, oh, Jesus. Then you're like, no, the doctor took it. Yeah. So that's the and explanation. He, so you're like, wait a minute. And then he drinks the coffee. He t- sips the coffee and kind of has, gives it a look. It's kind yeah. of, it's, it's very a funny. It's a little, like, it's a microcosm, the whole episode told in like 30 seconds. Yeah. Seconds. Well, structure, if you want to talk about structure, one of the things that fascinates me about this episode is it is. It is paced differently and it's structured mm-hmm. differently. You've got the thing with the doctor at the beginning, and then you have do- the doctor and Clara and the TARDIS, and then you have um, the you you have uh, Danny Pink and Clara, and you have the uh, the spaceman. Uh, who turns out to be, and then you're in a totally different part of the episode where now it's it's Danny Pink's uh, uh, future, you know, like great grandchild, and, right. and there's that whole thing in the future, and then they go to the barn, and so it's like yeah. it's like in in 45 minutes, it's like a five act play. Yeah. It's well, it's no, very strange. Notice the other thing too. I just remember this as well as Clara's controlling the TARDIS. The TARDIS always has a yes. problem with Clara, right? This is, this she's is, a little angry. She at sticks Clara. her fingers in the goo that we've never, never seen, seen before. before. <laughs> In the tele- TARDIS telepathic. telepathic interface. Yeah, and then but then she twice this episode she's flying the TARDIS. Hey, so tell me why the yeah. TARDIS is so hard to fly when you can just stick your fingers in goo and it takes you where you want to go with your unconscious well, mind. I think it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I can't really explain it other than that it's well. I think I think it's actually dangerous because what it's doing is flying up and down their own personal timelines, yeah, yeah. which are probably not to do. And so she, we actually don't go up hers or yeah. down hers, but, but we go 
up uh, Danny Pink's and then the doctors, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think that's probably why that's not maybe the, again the safeguards have been disengaged because you wouldn't want to do something like. I that. I think that's a pretty big part. Like as a user interface element, like that's a pretty big part of the Tartarus user user interface is telepathic interface that we've yeah. seen before. Yeah, but but uh, maybe it is like it's always working with the doctor, but it, right. for a human for for him to lock on to her timeline, she's got to stick her fingers well, in the goo. Just I mean, there's like this just this little bit is always is a skinning. Like I've always felt like. Like, as a sci-fi reader, there's always how to instrumentation manifest itself. In fact, this is something I liked in Star Trek. Q, the one, the Civil War episode that Q is in with uh, the Janeway, uh, the Voyager. Oh, right, right. And he, she's like, why are we in the Civil War or something? He's like, this is just the manifestation. I'm presenting this to you through a means that you can understand and comprehend. These weapons are... Un- right. And I think sometimes I, I think the t- sometimes the writers are clever enough to realize and, and explain the TARDIS's controls are manifestations. They're a perception of it. When right. he moves a weird lever, it's not a lever. Uh, it's fly by wire, right? And so this time, the manifestation of some element of the TARDIS's control it's, is the goo tray that she, that she puts her her hands. Well, You're no, that's actually one of my favorite lines in the whole uh, Matt Smith era. Is he's trying to explain something about pocket universes? It, it, there's two similar lines in a couple episodes, but he's like, imagine that there's this thing and it's sort of like this thing, and and Rory says, is that what it's like? And he says, well, no, not at all. But if you can imagine that, then that's good enough. It's like really, I'm just trying to make you understand vaguely how this works because it's too hard for human your puny human brains. It's that's how I understand physics too. People talk yeah. about bubbles, and I'm like, so right, trust I got me, it. it's bubbles. it's not really like that. That's imagine right. a cube. It's not really a cube. It's an eight dimensional cube, but you can't imagine that. So just Try cube. There is no cat. Yeah. Um, some other uh, some other notes I had. I wanted to mention um, the. Uh, I, I was amused by the line with um, where Dan- Danny says we could move straight to extras. That reminded me of something Jeff would say in Coupling. I, it was a very Stephen Moffat kind of a guy at a date says the most inappropriate thing possible and then is mortified. His, his, I imagine Stephen Moffat had a lot of really bad dates when his, he was dating. Um, his head desking too, like oh like yeah, the fact that that pink keeps it, that smashing is a, his that, head. That is a great restaurant because they <laughs> they give you a level place to smash your head when your girl walks out. That's on true. You. And if you both so walk out without paying the bill, it's apparently also okay too. Well, if you, you have a, the if you have a time machine, yeah, yeah. maybe you go back and ret, you you retcon it. You go you back can. and you pay later. <laughs> yeah, um, I uh, the, the doctor probably uses the uh, restaurant at the end of the universe approach to paying, which he just goes back in time, puts a penny in the bank account, and sure. has a check mailed. You know, yeah, exactly, or lottery ticket or whatever. Um, also, when when Clara goes home after her d- uh, disruptive and failing day, I love that she comes in the door and it doesn't open all the way because the TARDIS is in the way. I'm it's like the doctor, in your bedroom, the do- and then he says, "I'm hiding in your bedroom in case you brought him home," which is like <laughs> so mean. He, he's such a bastard. he is not he is not helpful. He's either mean or he's just completely clueless. Well, he's just, no, he's but, assuming he, he was making yeah. the joke that you're never taking him. Yeah, that. yeah, he's never gonna. Get yeah, it. it was very it was it's very funny. Either way, jerk. very funny, and I love that it's just like she's had a bad date and she gets home and she's like, I can't even open the door. Right, because he the that doctor was, is here to ruin I don't my think, life. I don't think that's actually a Dirk Gently joke because that gets too far in. But there is the whole bit. Sure. The Dirk Gently one with the couch where you can't he can't it's stuck walk up the, the stairs. The couch yeah, is right. ro- rotated three dimensionally. Right. The, the time machine door was opened in the hallway to let the couch in. The TARDIS, yeah. you know, it's a miracle that it landed in her apartment at all. He's much better at piloting. I'd have to. Yeah, say. I think I think that's I think that's true. Um, the uh, something about Danny. Uh, so, so Clara, in order to young Danny, in order to make him feel safer, she um, puts out the toy soldiers, and then she shows this. This is in in thinking of the whole episode. This blows me away. Um, 
she he's broken colonel uh colonel uh action dan right yeah. he, he's broken dan. he doesn't have a gun and she says that's a soldier so brave he doesn't need a gun and it's like hello doctor right i mean and then it turns out that she gives that soldier to him when oh he was God. a boy and that so like and so does that is does that also mean that danny pink is essentially formed by the exact same boyhood experience as the doctor because right. they both were scared of the thing under the bed and they both received this toy soldier well, and who doesn't also, have a gun another you know more echoes amy pond in this weird you know the the, the moffat has a delight for Strange. Well, that was Davies there. Wait, was that Davies or uh, no? Amy Pond was Moffat. Yeah. Okay. So Mo- I'm, I'm losing track of where the transition. I'm right, Matt Smith there. But that you know that he likes these big old creepy. Oh, this one wasn't decrepit, but you know children's homes in which apparently there's only one right. child. You right. never see it, evidence of any other child. Yeah. Everyone's just Danny, asleep Danny, yeah, Danny and crazy. Yeah. Danny thinks in a room, but he has a room well, by himself. It, or or there's one kid who's under that blanket, really creeping him out. Yeah. One one of those things is happening. It's kind of creepy. It's um. He took my blanket. So the end of the universe is fast is fascinating, and and we've talked about that a little bit. Went a bit far is a very funny line. Um, it's just uh, it's just very strange. And then he's like gathering his stuff, like let let's get out of here. And the doctor says, "Well, we need to stay the night." It's almost like uh, you got to stay a night in the old haunted uh, house before you can yeah. inherit it. How is there <laughs> a like, night if it's the end of the universe? Well, and and that he says fun. he says to Clara, Danny or uh, or uh, Orson says to Clara. You know, you didn't look like you believed him. It's of course, it's it's all fake. He, the doctor just wants to be there to find out if there's some creature at the end of the universe. That's all. It's all a fraud. Um, but uh, and then, oh, I, I really like the double. Uh, do as you're told. The, the doctor tells Clara, "Get in the TARDIS. Do as you're told." And then, um, when when she comes back in from uh, the barn, seeing him as a boy, mm-hmm. she says. He says, "I don't take orders from you," and she says, "Do as you're told." Yeah, although it's Beautiful. a little bit. It's interesting because his. Well, it was also. Um, I mean, that was particularly mean of him when he said that to her. Yeah, it was surprising. Well, or not mean. He's but, but trying harsh. to protect her, and he's yeah. being harsh in order to That's force right. her to do this thing to get across. But it's also this doctor doesn't need saving, right? At some level, like right. he wants to claim that you know she's like, I won't leave you when you're in danger. Although he this is also then, a selfish act because mm-hmm. he's he's essentially putting himself in danger because he's curious, which yeah. is a very strange bit of behavior from the doctor that we don't usually see it's, where he's just he's he's fine with being in this open airlock because he really wants to see who's on the other side of that yeah. door. There's no, he's putting himself in danger in a way that he usually right. doesn't because he just wants to know the answer right to this strange question that yeah. seems to have been put in his head years ago <laughs> by Clara monster who yeah. monster. Who? <laughs> um, we also got Clara hugging him again and he that said, so not the hugging. I'm against the hugging, which is very funny. That's good. So and and then the last thing I wanted on my notes that I had was um, when the mother and father, presumably, or at least you know, male and female characters on Gallifrey come in uh, to to check on the boy, who's the doctor. Um, there's a line about how the 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 male figure assumes he'll be in the army, and the woman says he'll never be in the army. And boy, that puts another perspective on the doctor's opinion of soldiers right and which has been a theme especially in into the dalek but a theme this season as well as the whole series ever in 50 years and so the idea that there was a, an authority figure in his life who assumed he would 
be a soldier, and then uh, the uh, and then the you know mother figure in his life, perhaps his actual mother, says you know he will never be a soldier, and then there's this feeling of well he's never going to make a time lord, which I think is canonically the first time that they've ever suggested yeah. that not all Gallifreyans are time lords. That's been a theory, but this is like the first time they've stated. I, yeah, that's right because they've sort of hinted. I mean, there's you know the maintenance people of right. Gallifrey what, and. Yeah, well, and, uh, we saw in in Name of the Doctor, or no, in uh, Day of the Doctor, we saw all those people out like on the streets of the uh, of Gallifrey with like dirt on their faces and stuff. And there's this thought like they're probably not the Time Lords. There's probably like a hierarchy. A but yeah, but the Doctor as a you know having somebody in his family say you will be a soldier and rebelling against that is I was a nice confused, touch. Though, because I thought all the Time Lords were sort of so. I thought there were, I thought essentially everyone was mobilized. But of course there are soldiers, and there's, we see that in the very Right, more stuff. right. There's people there in the are. army, and then there's the time lords who've got their fun, funny hats. And yeah, do great, whatever they do really with their funny hats. Co- copper yeah. things. Are, they impractical. Have really good neck strength, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, amazing. they are time lords. They, that's right. That's one of the that's, ways that they're unlike humans. They have large brains and then thick uh, necks to hold up their heads with their highly dense brains in them. Yes. It's um. Yeah. I think there's a lot of echoes. I think. They did a wonderful. Well, I think it was a terrific episode. This is my favorite so far yeah. this season. This is one of my favorites. I would have to say, of um, I liked Midnight, even though it was kind of a different. I love Midnight, thing. and um, but I would say uh, this just has. It, it, you know what the thing is? The first episode this season I felt was a pastiche, and they're trying to introduce a new character, yeah. and it was it's, bits and pieces from everything. Doing what you need to do to introduce a doctor, right. but I felt like yeah. they recycled a lot. In yes. this one, this did not feel recycled. It felt no. very original. Even though it had enor- it had echoes and um, uh, like references to, mm-hmm. as opposed to, but in such a way that they felt an integrated whole and they were additive, as opposed to, oh, we plucked this plot element. It's like, no, no, we're right. explaining. This is an echo that helps you explain the past and the future. And, and in, a, in a plot that could have been, if you, if you boiled this down, you could have boiled it down to saying it's kind of like Blink except for... Or 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 a girl in the fireplace where there's a monster mm-hmm. under the bed, but in fact it sort of undoes that by oh questioning whether any of it is really real or if it's all just the fear that creates the monster in your head because you're afraid. So it's it's yeah. I mean I I didn't I didn't know. I heard some people talking about how this was going to be an instant classic kind of episode mm-hmm. of Doctor Who, and I don't know if I would say that, but I would say it's very good. And one of the things I really like about it is it's so rich. It's rich to interpretation. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it makes you think. It makes you talk about it, which we love because we do talk about <laughs> them anyway, even if it doesn't make you. We do it anyway, and uh, and it is uh, a writer. An award-winning, very skilled, whatever you think of uh, the choices he makes, very intelligent and skilled writer trying to do something um, complicated and interesting. And to just to see him try uh, something that's like a – it's like a – he's riffing. It's like a jazz riff on a Doctor Who script by the guy who does Doctor Who. That's crazy. So yeah. that was really fun to it see. Was one, I mean it's also the nice part is that we don't get a resolution and yeah, we don't so know easy. if there's what was under that it's blanket so in the children's home. We, we don't, don't know. know. It's so could easy. Could be a kid, could be a monster. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. Anyway, it's so easy. I thought also the Vash Narada from the um, Silence in the Library uh, two-parter uh, mentioned again later in another more recent episode. I think too. Where the Vash Narada mentioned I don't again? Know. I mean, not. I mean, not. But but I was thinking like that. You know, the thing in this. You know, well, some, there's a lot of different stuff in the dark. And sometimes it's a right. tiny, tiny um, uh, creatures that can eat you. And sometimes it's nothing. <laughs> and sometimes it's a vortex and well, or so, chicken. Yes. So 
I think, I mean, obviously, we, uh, this is the same thing about flipping it on its head. That Moffat's shtick, obviously, is let's take something that kids are afraid of and come up with a horrifying, actual, like, oh. alien reason why kids are afraid have, of it. Have you had that dream? Which he always, he always does yeah. that, right? So in this one, in the end, this is a story about the frightening dream that the doctor had as a kid. Yeah. So it's the opposite. It's not, and which wasn't a dream. So uh, I love that, that it's, it's not about... Uh, everybody else's dream in the end. And the doctor says, this, everybody's had this dream. It turns out it's not about that. The doctor is the one who dreamed this. This yeah. is, we're seeing the doctor's childhood nightmare for the first time, which is fascinating. And what a, you know, it's, yeah, crazy. There's, well, there's some good projections. <laughs> I think there's some other episodes in which you have the doctor, like the Dream Lord episode, for instance. Right, uh, where, where you see his fears and his self-loathing and things kind of <laughs> yeah. being manifested. Well, yeah. And even, I think, I've, I have a feeling, I mean, we're having a lot of introspection. Even the Dalek episode, the Dalek looks into the doctor and he sees... Yeah. The birth of universes and Dalek. all this heart, yeah, and so we're sort of getting the you know, am I a good man? Like this, yes, is, this is the theme. I mean, it's I, a theme instead a, of an arc. Right, right? There's a story arc going yeah. on about heaven and the promised land, and then there's the the theme, the theme and of theme of the of the season, which is yeah. still, am I a good man? Yeah, who, you know, who am I? Why why am I doing all of this? And where am I going? And yeah. and, and that's all in there, which is really cool. I think it's. I think there's so much more subtlety. In this, that it just it's it it's it, uh, so clearly more interesting because of the subtlety, and um, we just have a lot of room to grow now from yeah. this, which is good. And then next week is Time Heist, which looks like a totally like crazy, oh uh, crazy heist episode. So that's like one of the things yeah. I love about the show is that every just week to week, if you don't like this week, just wait a week yeah. and there'll be a totally different episode. Well, I didn't see any pirates or dinosaurs in the next episode. Yeah, yeah they might have hit. That's good. Just a bank vault, a space. Bank vault, space bank vault yeah. heist. It's it's hit space they're stealing ocean, space oceans. They're 11. stealing bitcoins or something. <laughs> um, well, this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun, and we did it in person, which in is even life. more exciting. Yeah, amazing. So that's it. That's uh, season eight, episode four. Uh, listen. Which thumbs up from us? I, uh, yeah, high thumbs up, way up in the arena. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Glenn Fleischman, thank you for being on the TV flashcast for Doctor Who. Thank you for having me, and thanks to everybody out there for listening. We'll see you next week. Listen. <laughs> <laughs>